Hello. Uh, we spent some time uh, thinking, talking, me sharing with you about what worship really is. And I think we just did it. And I think there's a beautiful connection that forms when we truly worship God. Did you enter into that today? Um, we share our hearts with, with God and he receives them. And he shares our heart, his heart with us. And there's a union, a unity, a spiritual thing. It's powerful. And I just want to, uh, I want to say, let's keep doing it. Let's just, every song we sing, when we praise in that way, is an expression of worship. Every time. Let's honor God like that. And uh, let's know his presence and let's bless him, I think, as we just did. Well done. Well, I'm wondering today how many Downton Abbey fans are in the crowd. Downton Abbey, come on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're a Downton Abbey fan, you are really a Downton Abbey fan, right? There's no such thing as a mediocre one. And I'm one of them. And if you haven't seen it, I suggest it's probably on Netflix. I don't know. Anybody know if it's on Netflix? It is. There we go. See, they know. They probably watched it five times. It's, a, it's a, a program that was run over the course of six seasons. It's a period piece done by PBS. And it follows the development of a family, uh, the, um, uh, the Earl of Grantham and his wife. You know, this is in England. They have a beautiful castle and grounds that they inhabit with all the servants. You know, there's Lady Mary, the daughter, and Lady Edith. Oh, poor Lady Edith. <laughs> and then there's Lady Sybil. Oh, poor Lady Sybil, right? Ooh. I'm not going to give it away for those of you who might watch it. But, uh, and it's just a fabulous story that uh, a lot of people have really loved. There's a, there's a scene from that, that uh, six-year uh, sequence show. Happened, by the way, in the uh, early 1900s, probably from 1900 to 1920, I'm guessing. Um, but um, there's a tea party going on on the grounds of this beautiful estate. And all the aristocracy from the area, I'm sure, has gathered, all the lords and the ladies, literally. And, um, you know, uh, it's a beautiful sunny day. It's on the green lawn. There are tents set up. The servants are running around with their little platters, you know, serving people. If you know the show, you know what I mean. And, um, you know, Robert is there. He's the Earl. And he's dressed in his off-white suit with a little stylish hat with a brim on it, you know. And, and anyway, a servant comes to him with a silver platter. And on the silver platter is a note. Turns out to be a telegram. And he takes the, uh, the telegram and he opens it and he reads it. And his, he gets somber. Um, serious, and, and uh, he stands up and he walks into the midst of the people and he, he quiets them, he gets their attention. He says, I, I have something I need to tell you today. And he said something to the effect uh, of this. He said, I regret to inform you that at such and such a time we declared war on Germany, 1914. My friends, lords, ladies, we are at war. And everything got quiet. Uh, you know, the fun, the laughter, the games, they just stopped. As people in that moment uh, took, took time just to grapple with the enormity of what they had just been told, people they knew would die in large numbers because that's what war does. We know of the trench warfare of World War I. They were yet to experience it, but they knew what was coming. Sons and, and, and daughters would die. Um, they knew about the sacrifices that would need to be made. They knew about a, a, a nation that would need to mobilize in order uh, that they might win this war. Um, kind of a powerful moment. 
And I want to tell you this because if you're a follower of Christ, if you're part of his church, if you've come to believe, and let me say it as I often do, not just believe in God, everybody in his uncle and his aunt believes in God. The devil believes in God, the Bible says. But if you believe in Christ, and if you believe that what Jesus did for you on the cross is effective for your life, i.e. that you very literally can have, and I hope have had your sin forgiven because of the, pay, the, the price that Jesus paid, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are part of his church, I want to tell you today, my friends, we are at war. How many of you believe that? You know, it's, 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 it's one of those sort of penetrating things that we need to, to uh, dwell with a little bit. You know, I am deadly serious about this. And I want to tell you why over the next few weeks. Well, today and, and, what, and what is to come. We're going to focus on a story in the Bible that you might have not have thought of if indeed you grew up in a Christian home or in, in the church. Uh, we're going to focus on a story from the Old Testament that uh, you might not have thought of or read or heard about since you were a child. If you didn't grow up in a Christian home, if you didn't grow up in the church, you may never have heard of the story. I don't know. But it's the story of David and Goliath, this teenager, literally, who slew a giant. Um... You know, this nine-foot-tall probably being, Hebrew's a little uncertain, but he's a big, big man. Um, he is armed to the teeth. He is a powerful, trained killer, or was. And the story is of how a young guy went up against this giant with a sling and five stones and killed him. Ended up chopping off his head and walking around like this. Look what I got. It's a bit gross. Different day. And I'm going to start this series today uh, with, with digging into 1 Samuel 17. We're just going to look at the first three verses, and I'm going to read them for you. You might say, Chris, you're not going to preach an entire sermon out of this, but I am, just to warn you. I think it's got powerful stuff. I mean, it is, it's such significant stuff. So I'm going to read these verses to you and explain them as we go. Verse 1, first of all. And I'm going to explain to you how we're at war. And it's not fun and games. This is the real deal. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdamim between Sukkot and Ezekah. Um, yeah, so what, you might say? What's the big deal? Well, first of all, Philistines. Philistines are the traditional enemy of the Israelites. Go back. I went to check. It's either chapter 13 or 14. That's when they had their last set, too. They had battles. Israelites won, the Philistines lost. And, you know, sometime later, they're gathering their forces. It's time to go at it again. It's time for a battle. Um, that's, that's point number one. The other thing that's incredibly important is where they were. They gathered their forces for war in Judah. Uh, Judah is part of the promised land that God promised his people long before they inhabited that land. This land of milk and honey, this place that's intended to be an incredible blessing of God to this covenant people that he had formed for himself. Um, they're, they're on the land that God gave to the Israelites. Um, they had come to take possession of it. They had come to kill. They had come to enslave the Israelites. They had come to plunder their wealth. They had come to dominate the lives of God's people. It's, it's, it's ominous. Verse 2 and 3 say this. Saul, he's the king of Israel at the time, and the Israelites assembled. I want you to note the word. We'll come back to it. He, they assembled in, and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line 
to meet the Philistines. No question what's going on here, right? No question. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Can you picture it? <laughs> There's going to be a war. People are going to die. People are going to slaughter one another. The brutality is about to unfold. There's going to be a battle. There's going to be a war. You know, this reminds me, uh, you know, I, I talked about Downton Abbey. How many have seen the movie Braveheart? It's a little dated now, but do you remember when the, you know, the, 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 the you know, Longshanks, the, the English king came and um, the Scots, the rebellious Scots, I'm one of them. I got to tell you, I just got to share my bias. I was born like 30 minutes from where this battle took place, right? I think. It's pretty close. I was there some years ago, 2012, and I stood at, at, at the site of the Battle of Bannockburn, and, and there's a monument, and Robert the Bruce's statue was there. It's very cool. And I just stood, the sun was setting, and I just looked out over this plain. It's now divided up into fields, you know, agriculture. And I just thought about what took place there so long ago. Uh, you know, when, when people just went at each other with swords and spears and killed each other. And they lined up. You remember the scene they lined up? I won't go into a lot of detail about what happens in that instance. <laughs> but they're ready to do battle and to kill. And this is the situation with the, with the Israelites and the Philistines. The enemy has, has come onto their territory and it's time to, uh, to resist. Um, of course, what happens is that the, the, the great powerful Goliath comes out from among the Philistines and he offers uh, symbol combat warfare. Basically says, you know, I'm the champion of the uh, Philistines, you send me your champion, we'll go at it, whoever wins, wins the war. We, don't, we all don't have to fight, we all don't have to kill. And of course, it's David in the end who goes and kills him and, and the Israelites win. Please study this over the next weeks, will you? Will you read it a lot, over and over? Will you pray that God will reveal to you what the, the, the profound truths that are in the text? But let me ask you this, what is the relevance of that text to us today? You know, is this just a historical document re recounting a battle that, well, kind of almost happened a long time ago? Or, my friends, is, is, is it the Word of God through which God intends to speak into our lives in very direct and very definite ways today? Well, I want to tell you it's the latter, of course. God wants to teach us something. God wants to form us. God wants to enable us to live the lives that He's called us to live. And one of the great ways of approaching a text like this is just to say, where am I in the story? Where are you in the story? Where, where are you located in this dynamic that's, that's being uh, described for us? Well, I want to tell you, um, we're the people of God. And the people of God in this story are represented by the Israelites. And we're being told, number one, that we are at war, and number two, that we have an enemy. An enemy, uh, and I want to suggest to you, <laughs> that enemy uh, is, is uh, personified, if you would, in Goliath. He, 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 that enemy that, that we are supposed to engage with, this Philistine one, uh, is, is represented there. And I want to tell you, as we look at this story through the lens of the New Testament, it becomes absolutely clear who our enemy is and who Goliath represents in the Philistine army. Our enemy, so we are told over and over again in the New Testament, is the devil. It is evil. And we are in a war with that power. Let me read to you 1 Peter 5, verse 8, which says this. Be alert and of sober mind. Remember, this is being written to New Testament Christians. That's us, as is the Old Testament also. But be alert and of sober mind. It's like, 
People, understand this. Take this seriously. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Whose enemy? Your enemy, my enemy, our enemy. There is a malevolent being who seeks to destroy and he here, is com- he here is compared to a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What does a lion do when it catches its prey? You know, like, it, it's, it's, it's brutal. The lion, there aren't a lot of nice lions in the wild. Oh, what a lovely little lamb. Let's nuzzle up and get cozy. No, it tears the lamb to pieces. And then it eats it. And we have an enemy, the devil. I mean, there it is. It prowls. And roars, looking for someone to devour, looking for someone to kill. Jesus, John 10, 10, says this. The thief, and then that's in reference to the enemy, the devil himself, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Now that ought to sober you. That ought to make you just sit back and go, wow. I have an enemy who wants to steal from my life, kill my life, spiritually, physically, otherwise he wants to destroy me. You deal much with that in your life? Do you think about that? Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and I have it to the full. What do you want? <laughs> but the reality is there. And then Ephesians chapter 6, 10 to 12. Ephesians 6 is going to become a parallel passage to 1 Samuel 17. We're going to look at them a lot together over these weeks. But Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And you can just stop there for a minute. That's what God wants for us. He wants us strong in him, in his mighty power. This is the David character of 1 Samuel 17. It's an incredible thing that young guy did. And that's what we're called to. He says, put on the full armor of God. Why would anybody put on armor, by the way? Who puts on armor? At least then. Tell me, who puts on armor? Soldiers do. Why? Because they need to be protected. And they take the sword in their hand because, you know, like... This is a battle. This is a war. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Devil is brilliant. Devil is powerful. And devil will scheme your destruction and mine. The destruction of the church of Christ. It's his intention. For our struggle, here's the critical piece for us today. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, just pause for a minute. Who believes in... Don't put up your hand. I just like asking questions. Who believes in heavenly realms and spiritual forces existing in them? Uh, Do you believe in God? Chances are decent if you're here. Do you believe in angels? Probably, yeah, yeah. believe in angels. If you believe in God, if you believe in angels, you believe in a spiritual realm... It's unseen by us, it's invisible to us, but it's very real. And what we're being told here is there are spiritual forces of evil that exist in the heavenly realms. And that, my friend, is our enemy. And that is that force that Jesus has described as the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That is the one that we are, that we are told about in Peter who is like a lion who seeks our destruction, who seeks to devour us. I hope I have your attention. Um... And what this text goes on to say is that our our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle is not against actually the things that that, that are obvious to us, 
But our actual struggles in life, the things where we, where we battle, the things where we hurt, the things where we um, you know, really uh, grapple with in difficult ways, they, they are from the forces of evil in this heavenly realm. What Paul is saying is, you know what, people, and he's writing to early Christians, just as he's now writing to us, think about the problems of your lives. Open your eyes to see what you are really up against. Because what you are really up against is not really what you think. In so many ways, it is this force in the heavenly realms that seeks our destruction. Now, let me ask you, what are your struggles? Now, every single one of us have struggles. We live in this fallen world, right? And we're fallen people, and we, we bash our heads against all kinds of things every single day. <laughs> um, life is hard. What are your struggles? You know, for a lot of Jesus followers, we have a desire for holiness in our lives and, and we want to live in obedience to Christ, but we have struggles with sin. Anybody here have struggled with sin? I do. And you might not struggle with it, but it's there. The question is whether you struggle with it. <laughs> because it's just weaved into our being, I'm afraid, at least for the time being. And, 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 you know, think of Jesus just after his baptism and, and he goes into the desert for 40 days. This is Luke chapter 4 and he, he, he fasts and he prays and he dwells in the word of God. And after that time when he is weakened in lots of ways, the devil comes to him. It's evil. And he tries, to, he does tempt Jesus to do what's wrong. He's seeking to destroy the work of God, not only in the person of Christ, but in this world. He's going to take Christ out at the knees if he can, right at the beginning of his ministry. Jesus, of course, is able to resist that temptation, but I want to tell you the reality is, my friends, that when we struggle with sin in our lives, the bottom line reality is we are being tempted by the devil. It might be with greed. It might be with pride. It might be with sexuality. You know, it, it could be with so many things, with gluttony. I mean, the list is long, and I don't know what your struggle is, but whatever your struggle is, and I hope, is, and I hope you're struggling with the dynamic of sin in your life, that struggle doesn't just come out of, out of the blue. It just doesn't arise out of nothing. It comes to us via the tempting action of the powerful being that the Bible calls the devil. How about your health struggles? You know, physical or emotional or otherwise. I mean, you might say to me, Chris, I have a heart problem. Or Chris, you know, this or that. I mean, you're not saying that my struggle with my health issues or my emotional issues like depression or whatever the case might be, you're not saying that they, they, they happen because of the devil. Let me tell you, Jesus healed people in the New Testament not infrequently by casting the devil out of people's lives or casting his demonic powers out of people's lives. And when those demonic powers were absented from people, they were healed. In other words, the presence and the power of evil was what was causing the physical illness. I'm not saying that every physical illness is because of that, but I'm going to tell you, my friends, we've got to be on guard, sober-minded and alert, aware that one of the causes of our physical uh, struggle is not just physical. It's not just obvious. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual power of evil in the spiritual realm. What about our emotional baggage? A lot of people struggle, right? You know what, I think the devil, I know the devil will implant the lies that he wishes us to believe deep in the core of our being. Lies, things which aren't true. He's called the father of lies. 
and, and, and you know, things like, I'm not valuable, I'm not that worthy, no one loves me, I'm not lovable. And if we come to believe those things deep in our hearts, is it any wonder we get depressed? <laughs> I'm alone and I have no future? I can't see the future panning out well? That would be depressing for anybody. And the devil does his work in our emotional baggage in our hearts and he sows these lies in us. And we struggle, but our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We're at war. How about some of our kids who have rejected God and got caught up in rebellion and got caught up in the way of the world? <laughs> what does that devil do? Scripture says in Corinthians, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. You're beginning to hear how active and how powerfully effective the devil is. He literally keeps people from seeing the truth of Christ and believing it. And he wants to steal our most precious possessions. He wants to. Doesn't mean that he will. You know, I could go on and on and on. What are your struggles? Do you think marital struggles happen and marriages fall apart just because, oh? Or is the devil powerfully at work seeking to destroy and to steal and to kill? My friends, I want to tell you, this is a real force that is, is, is at work in us. And you see, what we so often do is we try to deal with what we believe to be physical, what we believe to be obvious, without any reference to the spiritual power that lies behind the struggle. Do you do that? So common. We suffer the attacks of our enemy without reference to the means which God has given us to enable us to deal with our enemy. Now, I, I want to suggest to you just really briefly that the source of our struggle and heartache and difficulty, especially in the area of sin, is not only the devil. The Bible says, well, let me say this. C.S. Lewis, the great academic, said we either think too much about the devil or too little about the devil. It's a brilliant statement. You know, sometimes we think so much about the devil that we glorify him and we magnify him in our minds and we cower before him, see him under every stone when he's not. Although he's powerful and he's active. But sometimes we are imbalanced in that way. Sometimes, on the other hand, we think too little about the devil. We just deal with the, the struggle that he brings into our lives. And it's like we are that, like that vulnerable sitting duck. We're not doing anything about it because we don't even give thought to the reality of, of who is behind this system, behind this attack, behind this struggle that we know in our lives. So what are the other sources? Just very quickly, there's the world, the system of thought which produces an action, which, uh, which causes us to live like the world. We think like the world, therefore we act like the world. We, we as the people of God, aren't distinguished from the world, and we are called to be a distinct and different and holy people. But it starts right here. That's why Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Don't just do what the world does. Don't think what the world does just because they think it and they do it but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the secret here. Think God's thoughts. And when you think God's thoughts, you're going to be transformed in how you live. And we will stand out like sore thumbs in ways of blessing and goodness from the world because we are his. But the world is a powerful effect in the church. I got to tell you, there's a series bubbling up inside me about this one because the world has a powerful influence on the church. And the farther the world slides away from the thoughts of God, the more... I am seeing the influence of the world and its thinking in the church and, yes, even in our own church. 
So the world is a powerful influence that causes us to want to be like it, think like it, act like it, as opposed to think God's thoughts and act like Jesus. And then there's the whole dynamic of what the Bible calls the flesh. The New International Version, which is so commonly used, doesn't use the word the flesh. It says human nature. But these desires that are wired into us because we live in this fallen world and because of the fall of human beings into sin and so forth, um, it's just there. Galatians, sorry, yeah, Galatians chapter 5.19 talks about the acts of the human nature or the flesh, literally in Greek, are obvious, and it goes on to list all the sins. These desires that are just there cause us to do what's wrong at times. Um, but I want to tell you that desire, just like the desires and the temptation and the power of the devil at work within us, it just causes us to want to sin, and sometimes it does cause us to sin, and it causes our harm. But let me tell you this. What are, the, what are the critical lessons that emerge out of the text? Number one, the devil will try uh, to take ground, we call it. <laughs> take land, as he did in Judah that day. He will, he, will, he will try to take ground, even in the promised land, as he did in, in 1 Samuel 17. He will seek to be where he does not belong. Do you understand that? Um... The devil did not belong in Judah. That was God's territory. That was the territory of the people of Israel. He didn't belong there. He forced, the, the Philistine army forced its way in to seek to destroy. Now I want to tell you, my friends, the devil will come to us, every single one of us, he has and he will, um, but I, and he'll seek to take ground in our lives. But if we are Christ's, he does not belong in us. He seeks to enslave. He seeks to dominate. He seeks to destroy. And if we let him, he will. You see, if we open our lives to sin, if we especially when we intentionally and in an ongoing fashion engage in what the Bible clearly defines as wrong, we give the devil the opportunity to be powerfully active in us. He takes ground. Ephesians 4, 26, 27, famous verses say this. This is just Paul saying, put off the old, put on the new, and this is part of that instruction about what it means to be fully Christ's and to live for him. He says, in your anger, do not sin. So yeah, we get angry, but don't hurt people. Don't wrong them, right? It's okay to be angry in a righteous, just kind of way like God. It says, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it. Get on top of it, right? Then it says this, and do not give the devil a foothold. What's a foothold? Well, essentially, all that it means is you're giving the devil ground. You're giving him location. You're giving him place in your lives. And as we sin, and as we do it in an unrepentant sort of way, we give the devil the land such as he took in Judah in the day of David and Goliath, and we give him the opportunity to be powerfully at work in us. All week long, I've thought about this, this, this text, and I, I, young people just keep coming back to my mind. This is relevance to all of us. I don't care how old you are. Don't give the devil that opportunity in your life. Don't do it, because it'll produce destruction, struggle, and harm in you. But young people, as you choose your way, as you decide who you are going to be as you move through your teens and into adulthood, understand this dynamic. And don't give the devil access to your life because if you offer him the opportunity, he will take it and he will harm your life. 
And he will seek to destroy anything that God has done in you. It's a powerful and incredibly important lesson. Let me tell you this. (laughs) If you belong to the Lord, the devil does not belong in you. And he doesn't have to be there. Lesson number one. Lesson number two, don't try to deal uh, with your enemy on your own. I love this one. I think this is so incredibly important. See, what King Saul did uh, when the enemy came onto the land of Judah, Saul was the king. He did the right thing. In verse 2, it says he assembled his troops and drew up the battle lines. Now, what the army ended up doing was really pathetic. <laughs> I mean, they end up, ended up terrified and dismayed, some of the texts say. They didn't attack. They didn't force the enemy out. They didn't have the guts to go up against Goliath. They were shaken in fear. We're going to get to that. We're going to talk about that. But when King Saul called his troops together, when he assembled his troops, he did the right thing. You know what that reality is that's described to us? That reality is the church. That's you and me. That's us. Joining together, assembling together to engage in a battle Consistently throughout Scripture from beginning to end, God's people are called to come together, to assemble together so that they can meet God in a a unique way and to be empowered for the struggles they face through preaching, through praise, through fellowship. We're told that when we gather together, Christ is in the midst of us. Can you imagine when the Philistines came into Judah and and the two armies faced each other across that valley? If one individual from the army was, uh, from the Israelite army, said, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to take them all. And then he he marched out there with his little sword and his little spear and his shield and said, okay, let's, let's do it, guys. Hundreds, if not thousands of soldiers. And he expects to manage this on his own? It's silliness. Not even Goliath did that. He did it from the other direction, and he came to the Israelite army, and he didn't say, I'm going to take you all on. He said, send me one man, because he knew he couldn't take an entire army. (laughs) But I want to tell you, my friends, so many people today are doing exactly this thing. So many people today say, I can do this on my own. I don't need worship. I don't need small groups. I don't need fellowship. I don't need people praying for me, for my strength, especially in those challenging times. I don't need other people to exercise the gifts of the Spirit and minister in my life, whether it be teaching or exhortation or wisdom or whatever it might be. No, I can handle this on my own. Thank you very much. And I want to tell you, it's absolute silliness. Because nobody can go up against the enemy uh, like the devil with the force that he has, with the power that he has, with the scheming capacity that he has, and have a hope of winning. I want to tell you, for example, my friends, worship is spiritually powerful when we engage it, as I think we did today. When we engage it, In the spiritual realm, worship is powerful in the overcoming of evil in our lives and the overcoming of evil in this world. Let me read to you Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 25. In the old translations, it says something like, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Here's what uh, the Peterson paraphrase of the Bible, the, the message translation suggests. Let's see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out, not avoiding worshiping together as some uh, do, but spurring each other on, especially as we see the big day, see the big day approaching. 
I want to tell you, my friends, we have got to engage this battle using the means that God has put at our disposal. Worship is one of them. Fellowship is one of them. Prayer is one of them. Being part of the assembled people of God is the only way we have a hope, and it's a great hope of winning the battle. So number one, recognize that we, we, we cannot give the devil place in our lives. Number two, we cannot try to do it on our own. Number three, and this is incredibly simple, but sometimes the best points are, recognize the enemy and determine to resist him. Recognize the enemy and determine to resist him. James 4 verse 7 says this, submit yourselves then to God. That in itself is incredibly important. You know, God is our Lord. God is our master. God is our king. Then it says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you were here a couple of weeks ago and I was preaching at Easter, this question slipped out. It was on my mind. I'm going to ask it again. Do you resist the devil? Do you actively and intentionally recognize you have an enemy and actively and intentionally resist his influence and his power in your life? Or do you just go about life and keep taking the blows? You go, oh, la-di-da-di-da, I guess this is life. I, a lot of people do not resist the devil, even though we're told to. They don't even think about him very much. But we have to. And what will happen if we resist the devil? The Bible says he will flee from you. One of the really interesting dynamics about uh, the David and Goliath story, 1 Samuel 17, is this huge, powerful giant is defeated by a young boy with a sling. We're going to dig into this, right? But the giant ended up dead. He, he ended up lying face down in the dirt, and David came along and chopped off his head and carried it around. Kind of gross, 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 gross. <laughs> but the message of Scripture is clear. If we will take hold of that which the Bible enables us to take hold of, that, that our salvation provides to us, we can resist the devil and he, he will flee from us. Run away as a defeated foe. 1 John 4.4 4 says this. Dear children, uh, you dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. That's incredible. If Christ is in you, the one who is in you is far greater than the one who is in the world, the devil. The power, you know, like a lot of people say, oh, Christianity is just another expression of a battle of good and evil. It's kind of through all cultures and through all, you know, time, this ongoing story. It's just another story. There's nothing particular supernatural or, or divine about it. That's nonsense. This is not two equal forces seeking to, for one to overcome the other. This is, the power of God is infinitely more great than the power of the devil. It's like nothing to God. And I want to tell you, Jesus Christ has overcome the powerful power of the devil. The devil is a powerful force, yes, to us, but Christ has already overcome him. And you know, I want to tell you, he is an active but defeated power because of the death and resurrection of Christ. And I say it again, if you are in him, you have access to the power of Jesus and you can speak in Christ's authority and pray in Jesus' name so that the devil will be forced to leave your life and leave you alone. I want to tell you what I just said is one of the most remarkable things that Christians can experience if we will take it as true and make it real in our lives. 
that we can exercise the authority of the living God by speaking and praying in the name of the risen and all-powerful Savior, Jesus. It's remarkable. You can do that for your own life and for mine. Let me read the Ephesians chapter 1, 18 to 20 for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Here's this idea of opening eyes to see the unseen. Paul's on it all the time. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which God, which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. That's number one that we might see. And then the next verse says this, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. The same power that raised Christ from the dead can be operative in you and in me. We can exercise it. And we can exercise it against the power of the devil, which seems daunting to us, but in comparison to God, is feeble. You know, first, uh, sorry, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, it's Paul writing. He says, I want to know Christ. And we all go, yeah, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And then he says this, and the power of his resurrection. Can I ask you right now, how many people here know the, not only Christ, but the power of his resurrection operating in and through their lives? It's possible for us. We who are in Christ can exercise the power. Can you imagine what God would do if we took hold of that? Not only in our struggle with evil, but in this world of ours? It's a phenomenal concept. Practice and belief. So my friends, I, I, I want you to know this. We don't have to cower before the devil. The Israelite army did. David refused to. We don't have to cower in fear before this one who looks so threatening and powerful. We can exercise the power of God to drive out the enemy and deal with his schemes and deal with his attacks, deal with what Ephesians says is that day of evil when it comes, and it will come, and it'll come again, and it'll come again. We will live defeated lives harmed by the enemy, enslaved by his power, oppressed by him, or we will live lives set free by the power of God. That's the choice. That's the issue. Now I want to tell you this series that we're engaging in now, setting, setting in motion for the next few, few uh, weeks, it can set you free. I don't know your struggle with sin. I don't know your struggle physically or emotionally. I don't know your struggle in your relationships. I don't know your struggle, dot, dot, dot. I don't. I just know the one who is more powerful than the enemy who is causing the struggle, and I know he can set you free. Final comment. And I just want to put this out, and I want you to hear this loudly and clearly. For us to do battle with the enemy in an effective way such as I've described, as such as the text brings to us, such as the example of David teaches us, we need to be in Christ. And this goes way beyond going to church on a Sunday morning. <laughs> and this goes way beyond all saying, I believe in God. We have got to be people who have come to the cross of Jesus and we have confessed our sin before him and we have invited him into our lives and we have given himself, ourselves to him 
We are the followers, you are the leader. You are our Savior and our Lord and we will live for you from this day forward. We enter into the kingdom of God in such a fashion by faith and we have Christ by his spirit dwelling within us and we have access to his power. Otherwise, we do not. And I honestly don't know where all of you are at. I have a sense for some of you because I know some of you better than others. But I want to tell you, if you are not in Christ, you are at the disposal of our enemy, the devil. As a matter of fact, he's not even your enemy because you're on his side. You're aligned with the Philistines. And the first and most important thing you can do in your struggle with evil is to receive Christ by faith in your life and to give him your life. From that point forward, he will empower you if you invite him to. He will. And he will lead you to overcome even the power of evil which is at work in this world. But you need to be in him and he needs to be in you. I just want to say to you, I want to say to every single person here, if you're not in Christ, get there. If you haven't committed your life to Christ, do it. And I mean that every word that I just spoke, I'm just not talking about finding forgiveness of sin. I'm not just talking about having faith. Get to the place where you have committed your life to the person of Jesus Christ. Invite him to fill you with his spirit, to empower you. Engage his church, the assembled people of God. And you will see the Lord freeing you and you will see Christ gaining victory in your life. His power, not ours. My friends, we are called to do battle. Every single one of us. If you're on the Lord's side, this is serious stuff. Sacrifice is required. Think Downton Abbey. As the enormity of the announcement settled upon them, people would die, people would struggle and hurt. Sacrifices would need to be made. The nation would need to mobilize in order to win the victory. It's all true of us. But you've got to be in the battle. You've got to be on Christ's side. You've got to be in that place where he is yours, and you are his. So I invite those of you who are here today who maybe aren't in that place to think incredibly seriously about what I'm saying because it's in him that we have hope. The good news, the gospel, gospel means good news, is that Christ has come and Christ has died to set us free from the power of sin and evil and to give us life and life abundant. Are you his? If not, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to give a a moment of silence before I, I pray Uh, for those people who need to receive Christ seriously and commit their lives to him, just to do that today. Just to say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin and I I invite you into my life. From this day forward, I'm yours. I'm in your army. (laughs) I want to be on your side of this battle. I want to know you and I want to love you and I want to serve you with my whole being. So let's just have that moment of silence and if, if today's your moment to do that, just go ahead and do it and then I'll conclude in prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, your desire was that we be set free from the power of evil. That it would not dominate, control, and oppress. That we would be empowered by your spirit to overcome and live victorious lives in Christ. Um, 
God, for those people who have just opened their hearts and their lives to you, I just pray that you'll make yourself so real to them, that faith will come alive and that they'll dive into this, this following of Jesus with all of their hearts. I thank you for whoever those persons or, or, or people are, Lord, and I just pray that you would enable them and that you would lead them and that you would help them to be transformed by the renewing of their minds as they dig into Scripture. God, as we look at this text from 1 Samuel 17 over these next weeks, we pray that you would open our eyes and help us to see, enlighten our minds, our God, transform our minds so that we can see the unseen, so that we can recognize the truth of what is in the spiritual realm, and Lord, so we can break free, we can learn to exercise the authority and the power of Christ simply by speaking and praying in his name. God, change us and cause the devil to flee from us as we resist him and as we live in the reality of what you have created through your death and through your resurrection, Lord Jesus. Thank you for these texts, Lord. Thank you for the truth of them. Help us to find them alive and real in us as we continue to seek you and serve you with all of our hearts. In Christ's name we pray, amen.